Hello, and welcome to What Is My Podcast About, a podcast where on a basis of once every two weeks, we come out and uh, try to figure out what we want to talk about for our podcast in uh, exploring various different topics. And this week, I'm hosting as, once again, Matthew Grace, and joined once again, and as always, by Peter. Hello there! And Keith. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, so how have you guys been? I've been uh, doing all right, reading some books to kill the time. How about you? Well, recently, uh, Sea of Thieves hit Steam, so a couple friends and I have been uh, sailing the seas, as it were, enjoying the lives of pirates. That's fun. How about uh, you, Keith? What's going on in your life? Well, I've been in a similar boat, no pun intended, of course, but uh, <laughs> uh, I've been playing a lot of Valorant, which is the new Riot game that came out. Uh, it's a kind of a tactical ability shooter, uh, character-based. From what I understand, it's like CSGO, but with heroes. In a sense. Uh, most of the heroes have abilities that kind of take the way of, uh, for example, in CSGO, you would buy grenades or flash grenades, stuff like that, whereas those are abilities usually tied to heroes who have either a mixture of passive or some other things with kind of like Overwatch-esque uh, reasons for their powers. But uh, to think it's just kind of like an Overwatch-type game is very wrong because you cannot just run in guns a-blazing. It is a slow, methodical game. Interesting. Might have to give it a try. Oh, it's definitely fun. Uh, it's not quite CSGO, uh, so it's not a one-to-one, of course. Uh, weapon loadouts oh, yeah. and things like that are a bit differently yeah. tweaked. Uh, but if it, you, that is your type of game, but you like the uh, character uh, creation that Riot Games tends to go through, and you enjoy the idea of Overwatch characters, uh, then definitely is a game to check out. I'll certainly give that a try once I tire of uh, the shenanigans I've been getting up to in Sea of Thieves. And uh, I do know it's been a bit slow for media news, but... Uh, the movie Tenant, which is uh, done by Christopher Nolan, seems to be really pushing hard that it's going to be in theaters. Which I'm actually pretty down for, because watching the trailers fucking like eight months ago when none of this existed, I was pretty stoked to see that movie. So knowing that it's still definitely coming out is uh, a pretty bright spot in my future. Yeah, it'll definitely be the testing of the waters to see if uh, people are ready to go back to movie theaters. Uh... I mean, yeah. honestly, they are. I mean, we, we've seen yeah. how the beaches are going. Yep, the beaches. People are looking for excuses to get out of their fucking homes at this point. Beaches, parks, even restaurants are starting to open up again. Yeah, so yeah. Tenet on Tenet. its own might just do really well for that simple fact that it could be the first movie back into theaters. Mm. Uh, another movie that uh, had a trailer uh, drop recently that's kind of in the same boat it would be Bill and Ted 3, uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music, which is also uh, releasing on a trailer that it will be out during the summer, so it could be one of the uh, few movies that are back in theaters at that time as well. The fun thing I like about that one is the entire plot seems to be built around uh, Temporal Paradox, which is that Bill and Ted need to write a song to unite the universe and bring peace to humanity. Uh, but rather than writing the song, they decide to travel forward to the future when they have already written the song and steal it from themselves, which creates the very fun time loop of they've never actually written the song. They've just always stolen it from themselves who have already written the song. And you go back infinitely. Uh, it's kind of like the... Uh, what was that show about the like kids who got powers in uh, like Europe? Not Europe, England. Had the kid whose power was just being lucky or invincibility not lucky i'm not oh uh, you're thinking of misfits 
Misfits. That's absolutely what I'm thinking of. Yeah. And the whole time paradox they had where one character uh, goes back in time but has to buy a power. So the guy he buys the power from gives them the money to buy the power so that he's paying himself in the past and then giving the money he was paid back to him to pay him in the future. It's a fun little time paradox. I always enjoy when those are kind of written into movies because it creates so many problems, but I actually love kind of the idea of just writing away your problems by saying it's a paradox. Don't worry about it. I mean, to be fair, Bill and Ted's also been kind of home to like some of those jokey things that never took time travel too seriously. And overall, and with the series as well, the overarching joke about the fact that these two write a song to save the world and unite unite humanity in the galaxy is the fact that they are horrible at playing music through most of the movies. It's a great little add-on on to it. Been years since I've watched the first one though, so it'll give me a reason to go back and actually watch the first one and watch the second one because I didn't know there was a second one. Matthew, <laughs> what? I'm so disappointed. Why? But you didn't even this know there was a second one. This is me you're talking about. Oh, you're just making me sad now. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on to uh change the mood that I've suddenly set. You guys ready to start talking about what we uh, set out to start talking about today? I'm always ready. I have never not been ready except for before I knew this topic was even a thing that existed. And did we post the picture? Yeah, that is up and ready to go. Now, it's up as well as it could be considering those men in shady suits came over and told us that we had to put their photo up, which they altered. Yeah, it was super weird. We were in the process of uploading a picture to Instagram, and a bunch of guys from the foundation bust into our fucking homes, take our phones, edit it ever so slightly, and then upload it to Instagram for us. It was a very weird situation we were just in. And they had to use my Wi-Fi, too. It was just awkward. Yeah, it was a whole thing. Anyway, so if you uh, can guess by the picture that we posted what our topic is, by the time we're finished recording, then uh, we'll give you a call out during this recording. If not, we'll give you a call out uh, sometime uh, during the next episode that we record. But clarify to qualify for the call, you do still have to guess before this podcast goes live. Yes. Otherwise, you didn't figure it out. You read the title, and that's not the same thing. That's a cheater, and cheaters never win. Also, you know our rules. Find out later, and that's just worse. You know our rules. You're not allowed to read the title of the podcast until we discuss the title of the podcast about 20 minutes into the podcast. These have been in place since we started this podcast. If you don't know yet, well, you're doing something wrong. Or they're respecting the rules. Or they're... Anyway, what we're talking about today, in case you haven't guessed it yet, is SCP. The SCP Foundation. Secure, Contain, and Protect. What is the SCP program? <laughs> the SCP Someone's program. Someone's got to stand in for the audience. Yeah, because uh, it's something that uh, I was somewhat recently introduced to. It's kind of a... Uh, ur- it uh, says on its website that it's a collective urban fantasy writing about this, fan- or this fictional uh, SCP foundation. An organization that deals with strange and paranormal or as they say anomalous or supernatural items and entities 
They deal with those and protect them from the, or protect the public from them and such. Kind of describe it uh, to people as essentially a creative writing forum where a whole bunch of different people get together and kind of write their own headcanons about different anomalous creatures that exist throughout history and our current era and talking about all the fun things that exist with regards to them. Yeah, and this is kind of like early internet stuff too. This uh, whole SCP stuff kind of came back into well, came into play with the whole internet urban legend stuff. Uh, so this would have been around time creepy pastas and like the Marble Hornets, Slenderman stuff would have been becoming popular. Yeah, and you'll see as you browse the SCP website, there's literally thousands now of different entries that people have written, and uh, they're all given these designations. SCP followed by a number. That's their item number, and the SCP in this situation meaning Special Containment Procedure. So each entry will have a description of what the item, entity, whatever it is, is, and then uh, the instructions on really how to contain it and what it's done in the past in different uh, scenarios. I guess the kind of the best way to describe it would be, think, X-Files meets that warehouse from indiana jones yeah kind of in a sense i would like crossed with the men in black as well just because there's this shadowy organization that no one in the world knows about but they keep us from contacting extraterrestrials and all this shit some things that they just can't contain in their facility so it's more like uh let's keep everyone else away from this yeah you even get like very clear like men in black moments where they'll talk in some of the logs about how they have to use temporary amnesiacs to erase the memories of anyone who has witnessed this and then replace them with a more plausible story. So like very clearly a men in black type moment where they're just replacing people's memories with something that doesn't contain an SCP in it. Or in some cases, uh, some very rare cases, anyway, uh, just straight up killing people. I yeah. don't know if it's very rare case. Well, to be fair, they're not actively being they're, the ones that kill the people, but they do experiment a lot with lives. Yeah. They, they take risks, let's put it that way. And they do have some staff in place in the Foundation that are designated as disposable. Yes, those... literally D-class staffs. Yeah, and they're... Uh typically chosen from prisons and such. So don't feel too bad about them, but still, uh, it's it's iffy. Yeah. But anyway, when you're reading through these, you can expect any range of things. Creepy, terrifying, just downright disturbing entries, or just completely bizarre, hilarious, nonsensical things. The thing I really enjoy about the whole SCP situation is all of the, like, background and lore that goes into it beyond just the individual SCPs and their stories. Like, they have pre-built classification systems for differentiating between different SCPs. Like, they have one of three to four rankings, depending on who you ask, where they could be safe, which doesn't mean they're not going to kill you, but just means it can be quite easily contained and there's not really a risk once it is. And then there's... Euclid, which is it's absolutely a danger, and you have to put active measures in to contain it, and then there's... Well, it, Euclid's not necessarily dangerous. It's more 
it's kind of sentient and unpredictable. It's unpredictable to state that there are some steps that are required in the containment or securing of it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't specifically mean dangerous. I just mean, like, you have to actively take a step to contain it, whereas a lot of the safe things you can just put in a box and then you're done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the safe ones, you just put them in a box and forget about them. Uh, the Euclid ones are more of, you might have a few guards and maybe, like, a spe special contraption that's there that's needed for it. And then, of course, there's Keter, which, oh boy. Yeah, you're probably not going to be able to contain a Keter. If you can, it's mostly because it agrees to being contained for the time being. And those ones tend to be legitimately dangerous for people to be around. Yes. The reason I mentioned three and a half earlier is there's kind of a fourth set that some people don't fully consider to be its own set, which is uh, Thaumiel, which is essentially SCPs which have been updated and used to help contain other SCPs. So yeah. they themselves aren't super contained, but they're more so used in the containment of others. And more often than not, it tends to be Ketters, which kind of gets them the uh, alternate term of anti-Ketter. Yeah. And then, of course, there's Neutralized, which exists for the cases where certain SP or SP SCPs had to be destroyed or were accidentally destroyed in containment. Uh, there's a whole host of... Determined to be too dangerous to be left even contained, so they had to remove them. There's a whole host of other ones, too, like these decommissioned, which are essentially SCPs that were just poorly written, and essentially the forum managers wanted to call attention to how bad it was so other people didn't do it uh which i believe there's because uh, very uh, counterintuitive i also believe uh, due to uh when i got into scp it was still the first thousand so i, I haven't been too in it since and i've just been keeping on it and i believe there is another one which is for scps that were solved and proven yes. to not be reality breaking because it's kind of the main requirement for most SCP. It has to have some spin or break on reality that defies the laws, and that's why it's contained because by defying the laws, it makes it a risk. But ones that have been like written that were kind of using fringe science that oh, science can explain this now, they kind of retroactively go back and say, oh no, this isn't actually an SCP. This is just a normal part of the universe. Yeah, because also. Part of the reason for securing and containing all these SCPs is to research them to expand the horizons of humanity's science and understanding. Yeah, the thing I really enjoy about the lore is if you actually like go reading into the forums about how to write an SCP, they try to really emphasize the fact that you shouldn't be writing an SCP that is impossible to contain and is a huge danger to society. You want to write SCPs that, like, the main goal is to keep it in containment and not to just destroy it, because the whole point is it's called SCP for Secure, Contain, Protect, and not DDD for Destroy, Demolish, and... Oh, I forget what the third D was, but it was something like Defeat or something. And Probably. the whole idea is, like, you don't want to write SCPs that just need to die and that's their whole arc. You want to write SCPs that have these kind of things that can be studied are very weird and potentially dangerous, but we have means of containing them or at least mitigating any of the threat that they pose. And it's just all about kind of understanding them and studying them once we have them in containment. Yeah, and some of the more interesting ones are the SCPs that can have interactions with other SCPs. 
Yeah, that's one of the things I really enjoy is kind of the rabbit hole you can go down while reading about different SCPs where it'll just mention in passing other SCPs and then you'll be like, oh, it just kind of like mentioned that briefly. What's it talking about? And you kind of go over to this other SCP and you read up about it and that links to a completely different SCP and you try to learn about one and end up learning about a dozen in the process. Yeah, it's a very intertwined universe that they have that everything connects in some ways because once an SCP is also made, it's not a, oh, it's created, it's done, let's move on to something else. Uh, you can do submissions, not just of your own SCP, but also of experiments with it. So you write out the experiment and how it progressed and what were the results. And then the four moderators, uh, also kind of known as doctors or uh, field agents or uh, what's the other term? Facility managers. They all yes. kind of get to approve if the experiment makes sense and goes on to it. So you'll see at the bottom of most of the pages just rows and rows of just little experiments. And some people will actually think that's like, oh, well, what if they experimented with this one involving this other SCP? And you get some really interesting interactions that these things are constantly expanding on and growing and building out the lore and the rules of each SCP, uh, not just with that initial creation, but moving forward too. The really cool thing is like, you can see evidence of this. Like, we're going to talk a bit more in depth later on about the first SCP. At least I believe one of us is going to talk about it. But if you go to the bottom of the page, it talks about, or you can see, like, when the most recent revision or update to the page was. And if you go to the very first SCP, which is from over a decade ago, its most recent update was just over two months ago. So even that one is constantly just being updated by different authors, kind of going in and making slight changes or proposing articles or uh, experiments that can be done with this SCP. Yeah, and on that note, I want to talk about one of the uh, SCPs that I've chosen, or that I looked at recently. Not, not the first one, mind you, but this one is still in the first series. This designation is SCP-162, and it is titled Ball of Sharp. <laughs> you say ball of sharp? I did. Okay. Yeah, uh, color me intrigued. Okay. This is just the fun of the first series where it was right to the point with most of the names. Yeah. Uh, this is a short one. Most of the ones that I chose are short. So I may only briefly mention some of them. But uh, SCP 162 is a. Spherical mass of sharp implements like fish hooks, fish line, needles, scissors, etc., etc. It's to be contained at all times in a sealed steel container, and if it's to be handled at any time, it's with the use of thick steel-plated gloves and body armor. And uh, you do not want to look at it at all. You don't want to view it unless you absolutely have to, because any time that you spend viewing this you'll be hit with this compulsion that will just grow stronger and stronger the longer you look at it to touch it and to feel this ball of sharp and touching it will immediately result in several of the hooks that comprise the ball to become embedded in your skin which is uh, described to be extremely painful much more so than uh, normal fish hooks and any sort of struggling and attempt to get away from it will uh, just make yourself more entangled in the orb. And just because of the compulsion, subjects who have been caught within 
the confines of the orb have been, uh, I guess, uh, observed to switch between screaming out in pain and calling for help back to uh, fighting off anyone who would try to tear them away from the orb and just, I guess, the, shouting out the pleasure of being in contact with the orb. That one does kind of have the same route as a lot of different SCPs that have experienced, which is a lot of SCPs have kind of built into their story that it kind of breeds an obsession with the object itself as you go on. Like, There's a whole bunch of different stories. I won't get into them too much because I have other SCPs I want to talk about. There's one, I forget what number it is, but it's just a big green egg that once you touch it, you become obsessed with touching it for the rest of your life. And then there's also uh, the mother, which I really don't want to get into because it's the whole fucking thing. But uh, suffice it to say that humans who interact with it begin to consider it their mother and become obsessed with it to a very unhealthy degree. So there's a lot of different SCPs out there who kind of have built into their story that some sort of interaction with them breeds an obsession with them. And it makes them all the more dangerous because test subjects kind of tend to lose themselves in the object a little bit. Yeah. But the reason I brought up uh, SCP-162 at first, or for first, is uh, because it's also listed in the description for this SCP that another SCP, by the designation of SCP-1114, can be used to... Uh, help rescue people who could get entangled by this ball of spike, ball of sharp. SCP-11114, or 1114, is essentially a crash test dummy. But if it's activated within a certain range of someone, then any, uh, I guess, physical damage that that person would take is instead transferred to the crash test dummy. The person still gets the pain, just none of the actual physical injury. So it's kind of listed as a sort of way to save people. And that's a good example of, like, not all SCPs are malicious or evil in a sense, or trying to destroy humanity. Some of them can be used in gooder senses. Oh yeah. Just goes to show that there's a whole range of various curiosities out there in this SCP universe. Does anyone else have any interesting SCPs to share? I mean, going on the topic of uh, the crash test dummy and how I mentioned there's some SCPs that aren't, like, villainous in a sense, uh, the one I wanted to talk about today was actually my favorite SCP, which is SCP-294, also known as the coffee machine. Interesting. Uh, so essentially, this one is uh, Euclid class. It was initially a safe one. Because uh, the fun one about this one is, uh, unlike most other SCPs, this one was contained into uh, the break room. <laughs> nice. <laughs> because how this one works is it's your standard kind of like drink machine, coffee machine, where it has uh, a QWERTY keyboard in English on the front. And essentially, it just dispenses coffee as normal when you put 50 cents in. But you can also type in whatever you want with the board. And they tested it, and it would, you know, produce things like beer, water, coffee, juice, soda, wh whatever you wanted. Uh, but when, as you read through the story of this one, you find out that either this machine is sentient, a smartass, or has a sense of humor to itself. 
uh, and it might be psychic. So there, there is something to this machine that's a bit different. Uh, but essentially, they did all these tests. They've deemed it was fine. They put it in the break room. And then the first case document involving this, where stuff starts going wrong, is uh, there was an agent uh, only known as Joseph, who, when he was in the break room uh, with one of his friends who was working there, the friend told him, hey, you should uh, go request a cup of joe. Uh, see what happens when you put in that in the coffee machine. So he puts in a cup of joe. And then after a few moments, because the machine can make about 15 drink, oh, sorry, 50 drinks approximately, and that needs a cooling down period of about 90 minutes. But every time it does the rumbling sound that you'd expect from this type of machine. Hmm. So it makes the rumbling sound. And then all of a sudden, Joseph starts getting like really sweaty and complaining about dizziness and then he collapses. So they move him to the infirmary and then the medical team recovers the contents of the cup. And they found that there was blood, tissue and other fluids inside of it. And all of it matched the DNA of Joseph. Oh, jeez. Yep. So by putting in a cup of Joe, it, it literally got a cup of Joseph. Yeah, he got a cup of Joseph by putting this in. So this is kind of where you can see, like, oh, well, it's a dangerous thing. So their containment method after this was they just put two security guards there to make sure no one was goofing around while putting in drink requests. Makes sense. Because it sounds kind of like your typical genie in fiction. Yeah, where, it's... yeah you can ask it to grant a wish but it might interpret it as something else exactly and they tested this machine quite profusely so they found that it can produce anything that has a liquid state uh, but it doesn't damage the machine and the cup that it produces for the liquid no matter how caustic or acidic or anything like that that the liquid is it's fine so for example if you put in diamond well it's not going to produce diamond because diamond does not have a liquid state but if you put right. in carbon you will get liquid carbon Oh. And this happens where you can get, you know, rare materials like gold and stuff like that. But then they find out that there are some other differences to the machine itself as well, where it seems to have a range. So if you put you need a specific thing and it's not within range, which they've determined is at least up to 50 feet away, uh, it sometimes cannot produce it and will just give you because not produce, but also gives the same error. Uh, whenever you try to produce something that is a solid mass that doesn't have a liquid form. This is some of the fun parts where the story starts getting a bit weird and you can see some of the smart-ass tendencies of the machine itself, whether it's being smart about itself or anything like that. Because one of the tests, they put in the blood of Christ as the request of the drink, and then they end up getting red wine. <laughs> so the machine nice. just produces red wine when you put in the blood of God, or uh, the blood of Christ. Uh, another fun one is uh, one person punches in the best drink that I ever had. And then it ends up producing uh, what looks like a drink that has like rum and coke in it. And the person takes the drink of it and says, yeah, this is the drink I had. And he talks about his bachelor party, how he had the best drink he ever had, but he, he never knew what was inside of it and stuff like that. But the machine could produce that drink without him knowing anything about it when you put it in. Weird. So there's some psychic, otherworldly aspect to it where it's able to not only produce what you request, but even some vague things. It can, in a sense, read you when you put in the request and produce what you want. Uh, another person put in their favorite drink and got the exact drink, but they never mentioned it. None of their coworkers knew what their favorite drink was. And it was actually a specific like Vienna lager from a specific moment in time. And it was the exact dated drink from the best drink he ever had. 
Uh, <laughs> another fun one is someone put in once the perfect drink, and it created this kind of lavender liquid without a smell. And the person drank it, passed out. And then a few days later, they were found dead in the room with a suicide note saying nothing really mattered anymore. Oh my god. <laughs> so the drink was so perfect that it just kind of drew this man to suicide. So they put a precaution on it that you should not request the perfect anything from this machine. Because nothing at all will compare afterwards. Yeah, but it's just a huge letdown after having the perfect drink. My god. Now, now they're curious as to what that tasted like then. There are a few other weird ones too, where the, this vending machine also, it's not limited to liquid, but also, as you can see, it has some abstract ability as well. Can it make jello? You know, funny enough, there is no situations where jello was made, but I would not be surprised. Well, you, I'm pretty you probably sure... get that goopy jello before it goes in the fridge. Okay. So I just pulled up the kind of log for this SCP because I'm fascinated as you're talking about it. And I see one. Where uh, after a whole bunch of people were killed, or maybe not killed, but gravely wounded in a security breach, one of the agents requested a cup of pertinent medical knowledge, and then a cup of green liquid came out, and he was able to properly treat every single member of his team that was injured, and then immediately forgot all of the training he used to treat those four injured teammates. So. Yeah, it's like after about eight or nine hours, he forgot all the medical training that he got. And uh, when they tried to do that again, they were unable to recreate what happened. So they don't know if it was there was someone nearby that they could it could take the knowledge from or something like that, or if it was possibly the machine realizing that for its self-preservation, it needed to give this. Which gives the uh, object not only some like, idea of sentience and, like, the ability to make, essentially, jokes, but it also gives it the ability to just decide whether or not it's going to do it exactly what it's asked or whether it's going to refuse, which is also a pretty scary idea to give this kind of SCP, essentially, free will. Yeah, and, uh, and another, is... another one of those cons, like, uh, concept ones was a cup of music was another one, and they got a sparkling liquid that when they... Uh, drank it it had like a vague alcohol feeling to it and the person not hearing but apparently felt a rhythm and they were able to demonstrate the ability to move and dance to, with a certain uh, skill they never had before huh. I mean, it's fascinating the shit some people come up with while writing scps uh, another one here that's pretty fun is <laughs> the person uh, requested my life story and it created a drink and when they drank it they remembered everything from their life and then they disappeared for 48 hours and came back with a 538 page autobiography written perfectly oh my god uh another situation where they requested Tom or Je thomas jefferson's blood and received an out of range error another person <laughs> this one's pretty good because this also is one of the ones where it kind of shows that the machine might be a smart ass because the person put in surprise me as the request and it produced what uh, looked like a normal cup of water but when they went to move it uh, it turns out that the cup of water was actually superheated by like 200 degrees or something like that. So when they, they disturbed the water, it caused it to explode in a hot mist, splashing it in the guy's face. Oh my god. I'm willing to guarantee he was surprised by that. Yeah. yeah there's no question about that. Or there was another situation where they had uh, a D-class uh, uh, staff member who uh, put in a request when they uh, in the machine it was leukemia was the request and then it 
created uh, what they found under a microscope when looking into the liquid had leukemia cells in it. And the, the D agent that did this had leukemia. So when they tested them afterward, they found that they didn't have leukemia anymore. Though after 15 days, it did end up coming back, but that showed that the machine, it's weird because sometimes it needs to take from what's around, but other times it seems to not. So this machine definitely seems to have a choice of how it reacts to certain requests. From what I can tell, it seems kind of like if you ask for something extremely specific, then it needs to actually have that nearby to produce. But if you ask for something kind of generic that could exist in any capacity, then it has the ability to create it. Like, for instance, the scalding hot water that's just regular atoms that it can assemble into water and make really hot. But if you ask specifically for a person's leukemia cells, then you can't just create leukemia cells because then they're not that person's leukemia cells. You need to specifically take them out of their body. So I think whether or not it gives those errors of I don't have that within range comes down entirely to whether or not you're asking for something so specific that it would need to actually take it and not just create it versus if you're asking for something vague enough that it can create it for itself. Oh, definitely. And uh, again, like with the medical knowledge one and the music one, for example, it's kind of vague if that's taking it from someone else. Whereas like the cup of Joe situation does seem like it was taking directly from him because he requested. It seems to also imply that depending on the thought process of the person who's putting the request in, it reads them to get that. So where Joseph was being a smartass saying the cup of Joe, if he thought, well, my name's Joe at any point, the machine might read it as, well, his name's Joe. That's what he wants. Whereas the yeah, person who you're... said my best drink I've ever had, it's clearly looking at their memory of what it is. And that's why it's able to recreate that. So it's more so on the person re requesting it, which implies because there's a few entries where they note the IQ of the person. There is a, yes. a D class personnel they sent in and requested specific uh, parts of different animals. So koala urine, horse saliva, and uh, a miocenia epoch, uh, spinal fluid. And it got all three. And the thing to note of that was none of those creatures were nearby. And the last one was actually extinct for approximately 8 million years. So it probably reads the person. Well, well, it obviously reads the person who's putting in the offer or the request just because of the fact that two different people put in a request for the best drink I ever had and got completely different drinks. So it has to be reading the person who it's getting the request from. Uh, exactly. Cause and... the way you can look at that is the person who had the IQ of 99, when they requested these creatures didn't understand like, Oh, well they're not nearby or they're long gone. So it was able to create that. Whereas a smarter person who put in, for example, said, Oh, I want Thomas Jefferson's blood. Well, he knows he's long dead and not near here. So the machine is able to say, well, this person thinks it's impossible. So I won't generate it. Yeah. If yeah. you had have had a child come in and request Thomas Jefferson's blood and not know who Thomas Jefferson was, it's entirely possible they could have gotten Thomas Jefferson uh, Jefferson's blood. Exactly. So the person who put in the blood of Christ was kind of a smartass. So the machine in turn took like, whoa, he thinks that means wine. So I'm going to put wine as the request. Or not necessarily meaning wine, but just putting it in as a joke to see what would happen. Exactly. Or it's entirely possible that the person who put in the blood of Christ, given that they were specifically requesting the blood of Christ, was of the catholic belief system and truly believed at communion that the blood of christ was the red wine that they were drinking there so it would make sense that when reading their mind 
and sees that at some part of their mind they believe that to be the blood of Christ, that's what it chooses to produce. Yeah, so it's one of those fun SCPs that it's not really dark in the world. It, again, they don't contain it. They just put it in the break room and have two guards next to it because one person was fucking around with it and got in trouble. Yeah, yeah. you could easily kill someone by specifically requesting like blood straight from their heart or some shit like that. Now, So uh, it just needs... Go I was going to say, uh, for the longest time, I thought this one was actually called Cup of Joe. So when I was looking for it through the rereading of it to talk about it, it turns out there's actually another SCP, which is specifically called uh, Cup of Joe. Okay. Uh, so I just want to briefly talk on this. Uh, this one okay. is SCP-198. Uh, so apparently this is just an evil cup that its specific goal is to get touched by people. And sure. what happens from there is kind of vague essentially what happens is whenever anyone comes in contact with the cup it fuses with you on a molecular level and you can try to cut off your fingers your hand or whatever but any injury sustained to that part of the body that's holding the cup just heals immediately oh. and essentially once you have your hand on the cup or the mug or whatever form it takes uh the inside of it starts filling with uh bodily fluids there's not a specific fluid it has to be. Sometimes it's urine, sometimes it's blood, sometimes it's feces. It can be really anything. But yep. it tries to trick you into grabbing it by being what you want. So some people, it was a pitcher of lemonade. Uh, another person was looking for water, and they grabbed an, uh, what they thought was a full water bottle. And essentially, once this happens, it starts filling up this can with this, uh, or whatever type of fluid thing it is. You, uh, the user who is in contact with it starts becoming very dehydrated and exhausted. So essentially it's draining them and they've tried to keep people alive with IV or other types of things to keep them alive while they're being drained by this creature or cup. But none of it works. The only thing that's been proven to work is you have to start drinking the st contents of the cup. The longest anyone has gotten is about 70 days doing this. Jeez. Oh, but like, there's so many stories like, you know, they'll put it into containment, and then one person in the office will be like, reach out to grab a cup, and then immediately realize, oh shit. And they've grabbed the cup because it will try to blend in and sneak into places. And they didn't even know it was missing when it happened, so like, they like, oh, this person says they have the cup. They go look at the cup. Oh, it's not in the box. That is disturbing. And the fun thing about this, too, is they've DNA tested the contents of the cup, and it doesn't match the person that it's draining from which implies that the cup is feeding on the person and releasing their own waste, and then you have to drink the waste of the cup creature to resustain yourself. Jesus. It's like some sort of parasitic relationship. Pretty much, and it only ever releases once the host dies. That's the only way they've successfully removed it from people. Yeah, It's downright terrifying. So, Cup of Joe, was there anything else to be said about that one? Not really. That's kind of it, too. It's full extent it is a little evil cup that tries to get out and get told by people so it can eat them slowly yeah, that's very disturbing very disturbing indeed to uh cut in with a completely different scp now are uh, we completely changing the mood here yeah hopefully okay uh, it's, <laughs> i mean there's one part of it that's a little dark but for the most part it's completely pleasant uh, so I'm going to talk about SCP-1230. Now, the thing I really like about this SCP is 
reading its kind of log really lends itself to the idea that this is a constantly evolving story and you get the feeling that like this was originally written like a decade ago and then things happened and they had to change the log and updated it and you can even see where those changes happened i'll kind of get into those changes a little bit later on but to start off i'll give you the basic idea of scp 1230 uh it's known as a hero is born <laughs> and the whole idea behind it is it's an unlabeled green hardcover book with no text on the outside of it anywhere you can see. Uh, it has no real exceptional qualities in appearance to it. Uh, when you open it up, it all the pages are completely blank with no text on them, except for the very first page, which just has the words, a hero is born written on them, and then nothing else. So reading the book, nothing really seems to happen uh, at first. There's kind of nothing spectacular about it however once you fall asleep after reading the book uh to quote from the article itself the reader will dream of a fantasy world where they are the protagonist of a troubled land uh so they're completely aware of what's going on they it's not like an actual dream where you're kind of fuzzy and things don't make sense you have access to all of your senses so you can taste touch drink feel here, that's the fifth one. I can remember all five of my senses, I promise. Do they know they're um, dreaming, or...? Kind of. They know it's not the real world, but some of the experiments have shown that the uh, people experiencing it don't particularly care because it feels real enough. Think kind of like The Matrix, and that, like, it feels incredibly real, and even people who are aware that it's not real acknowledge that it feels real enough that they're willing to... Con treat it like the real world uh essentially the person who has this dream they don't sleep for any longer than they normally would uh so if they normally sleep for like eight hours at night they're gonna still sleep for eight hours uh however similar to how dreams work in the real world the length of time it feels like it's taking place in the dream varies significantly so some of the dreamers they said their dream only lasted about 45 seconds yet still took like a regular full night's sleep other dreamers have said that it felt like their dream was up to 200 years long. In reality, they usually never sleep more than like eight hours. Upon awakening, the reader's always able to perfectly remember every aspect of their dream in detail. Uh, in every single instance of these dreams, uh, there is a character who calls himself the bookkeeper. Uh, he is labeled by the foundation as SCP-1230-1. And he always appears as kind of a bearded man with a green cloak who claims to be the personification of the book itself. Uh, he's always super friendly to the dreamers, always tries to like encourage them to live out their wildest fantasies, does whatever he can to kind of bring them joy. Um, so essentially what happened is they've done several different tests uh, and they've had varying results. Like for instance, uh, one uh, attempt they did in order to attest its range, uh, a character or a person read it and then flew around the country and went to sleep. Or not around the country, around the world and went to sleep and still had the super crazy dream. So they realized that it's not something about the book acting on them while they sleep. It's that the book somehow implants the dream in them while they're reading it. And then no matter when they go to sleep or where they go to sleep, they will still have these weird dreams. Uh, in an effort to kind of test its effectiveness... 
they had a couple D-class people read the book. The first one was told, after much promising that it would not have any impact on his real life, uh, to go into the dream and kill himself in the dream just to see what would happen. Uh, and so he was in the dream for maybe 45 seconds and then woke up and talked about how he climbed the summit of a volcano and immediately jumped in. And it was the worst feeling he's ever had in his entire life. Life still felt incredibly warm after waking up, but was otherwise completely unharmed by the process. Uh, in an effort to see how far the effects could go, they sent another D-class researcher in there and told him to attempt to non-fatally injure himself, to like break as many limbs as he could while surviving. And apparently he did that, and then the bookkeeper walked up to him, and he was like, please stop. I mean, I guess at least you're not killing yourself right now, but seriously, what the fuck? I have this whole adventure written for you, and you're choosing to just jump off a building and see what happens. Uh, I'm starting to think that this book is just like a really lonely DM that's trying to like DM for people, and then all of a sudden SCP gets the book and just starts sending in people. It's like, what if you just melt your face off? What happens then? Wait, because it gets better. So essentially, one of the uh, scientists uh, known as Professor B, the rest of his name is redacted, of course, uh, filed a request to uh, study SCP-1230 and was quickly given permission because he has level four security clearance. Um, they commented on the fact that Professor B was almost visibly shaking with excitement before <laughs> going into the book. Uh, and other people who knew him outside of the world or outside of the uh, foundation, knew that he was an avid fan of tabletop and role-playing games and had never found a satisfying DM, which is also incredibly depressing. Oh, my God. Uh, so he went into the... I, I don't uh, know what's sad, the fact that that's where that went or that I knew that's where it was going. So uh, they had a surveillance camera in the room, and apparently what happened is Professor B went into the room, opened up the book, read the phrase, and immediately sat down beside the desk and immediately fell asleep. They were a little bit alarmed because he was asleep for 15 hours rather than the normal eight that people usually are. Essentially, they had some doctors come in and test him and determined that he was in perfect health. He was just unconscious. And after about 24 hours total of being asleep, he uh, began to move. He kind of slowly raised his head, looked around the room, appearing deeply confused. Uh, security entered the room to ensure he was all right. He was super confused, asked where he was. Uh, the medical staff came back, explained what was going on, and then uh, he seemed to regain his memory, excused himself to the restroom, and 15 minutes later, he hadn't come back from the restroom, so they went in to figure out what was going on, and he had hung himself in the bathroom. So that's the one dark part about this whole uh, SCP, and essentially he scribbled a message uh, on the mirror that just said, I can't go back to this. Um, I mean, dude, just read the book and go back to sleep. Yeah, so apparently, immediately after that happened, a different scientist uh, went and tried to go into a dream so he could ask the SCP-01, or SCP-1230-1, what had happened. But upon opening the book to read A Hero is Born so he could have the dream, the pages were just all soaking wet, and the same message was on every page, which just said, I'm so sorry, I never intended for this to happen. I just wanted to make people happy over and over and over again. So over the course of three weeks after that, uh, they had different personnel come in and just dry the book every day to see if anything would happen. 
uh, until eventually that same doctor who tried to question SCP-1230-1 again took a post-it note, wrote on it, I'd like to talk to you if that's all right, and put it in the book and closed it and then walked away. Uh, and then when he fell asleep the next night, he woke up in a blank void with a crying old man uh, and asked him what was going on. And the old man, while crying, just says, I couldn't think of anything to make for a landscape. So the doctor kind of asks him a little bit about what happens. And essentially what happens is Buddy went into the dream world and was so fascinated with it. And he had such an active imagination that SCP-1230 could create this beautiful, vibrant world for him to live in, full of intricate detail. And he was in that dream for over 200 years, fighting foul beasts, rescuing princesses, all this fun stuff. But he kept talking about how he never wanted to leave. And after like the normal amount of time when he would have to wake up, the SCP brought up to him, like, you're going to have to go back to your real life eventually. And Buddy straight up told the SCP, if you send me back to that world, I'm going to kill myself. And the SCP was like, this guy prefers the dream world to the real world. So he kept it going for as long as he could, which is why he was in there for 24 hours in the real world. Uh, but eventually he kind of woke up. There's a limit to the power of the SCP. Uh, and then eventually, yeah, he went back and died. And the bookkeeper was depressed and didn't want to risk that happening to anyone else. So that's why he stopped people from reading him after that. Shortly after that, uh, the same scientist was found slipping another post-it note into the book, but no one knows what was written on that post-it note. And a few days later, the book went back to writing uh, A Hero is Born on the page and giving people fantastical dreams. So the fun part about this showing its change is the initial like containment procedure, which has been crossed out, shows that it was uh, supposed to be kept in a secure storage locker uh, and no one without proper security clearance was allowed to access the book. Um, and then it was essentially updated that it was just moved to a storage locker in the library of the uh, SCP Foundation building, just so that it could be surrounded by books to help broaden its imagination and more believable worlds for all of its visitors in the future. So... I really like that one because you kind of get the feeling of like a story progressing and not just a set story that happened a long time ago. And also, it's one of the rare examples of an SCP that just kind of one and makes people happy and have a fun time with them. And it's also clearly just a super lonely old man. <laughs> yeah, that one sounds just legitimately, I guess, wholesome in a sense. Yeah, except for the fact that it drove that one guy who was a huge nerd into suicide. Yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't the SCPs. It was not the fault. SCPs' fault. <laughs> not at all. All right, so that's SCP-1230. Uh, Matt, you got another one you want to talk about? Yeah. The one I want to bring up is a, is a relatively short kind of description and uh, containment procedure to it. But included is a journal written by one of the people who experienced this particular SCP. It's a lengthy journal and certainly worth the read. But this particular SCP is designated item number SCP-3008. Object class, Euclid. And uh, special, contain yeah, special containment procedure is uh, the retail park containing this particular SCP was purchased by the Foundation 
and converted into site redacted and all public roads to or even passing within sight of this area have been redirected so there's no roads or any sort of access nearby to the site that people can use because uh well it's too big to put into their facility and they can't really transport it because this scp is titled a perfectly normal regular old ikea <laughs> i've heard about this one yeah it, i've heard about this one too yeah it's one of my favorites just because it seems so ridiculous so scp 3008 itself is just the exterior of a large format uh, regular ikea store but there's two other sub designations for it there's scp 3008-1 which is the space inside of it which resembles an ikea store except it exceeds well it seems to stretch on infinitely in all directions and it doesn't any testing that's been performed seems to have found no limit to the store thus far. And the SCP-3008-2, which are kind of humanoid, mannequin-esque creatures that wander the aisles of SCP-3008-1. They kind of look like humans, but are reported to have kind of odd body proportions, kind of tall, too tall or too short, and no facial features whatsoever. And they all wear the typical yellow shirt, blue trouser, Ikea employee uniform. And they themselves, well, inside the uh, 3008-1, it seems to have a typical rudiment or very simplistic day-night cycle where during the day the lights in the store are on during the night the lights in the store are off and the I guess the humanoid mannequin things are just completely passive during the day cycles you can talk to them interact with them but they will not respond in any regard the exception to this is if you outright attack them, they will retaliate in a highly aggressive manner. And they will also become incredibly aggressive and violent when the night cycle begins. There is one incident listed in the document here, which is just titled SCP-3008-1. And, uh, or Incident-3008-1 where uh, just a single human male exited the store, but they were followed 10 seconds later by one of the mannequin dudes, SCP-3008-2. The mannequin dude caught the man and brutally murdered itself. Or br brutally murdered the man. And then it was immediately terminated on the spot by uh, the SCP Foundation personnel. But that's the only instance of then SCP-3008-2 have being seen anyway, leaving the store. I mean, sounds like a perfectly normal Ikea to me. Yep, that's been my experience with the Ikea. You try going in there at night, and they do not like it. 
Yeah. That man who was killed. That was um, you. It was me. No. He was carrying a journal that he had written while he was in there. He was in that store for over six months, and that journal details his experience in there. How he was wandering around. First couple days, he was all by himself, couldn't find another person. And uh, through his travels, he found that there were other people there, and they had made towns out of all the Ikea furniture and stuff. <laughs> I, I know it wasn't going to go that way, but part of me was kind of hoping, like, they'd open the journal, and it was just, like, those uh, Ikea codes for, like, furniture, and you just had, like, a long list of things you wanted to get. <laughs> <laughs> now, they had made towns and societies inside the Ikea store, and they had to defend themselves every night against the violent... SCP-3008-2s who would come to attack them. And the funny thing is, when the 3008-2s become violent, they will shout out just random uh, phrases. Oh, where, where were they listed here? Yeah, various things typical of regular retail employees when a store is closing. The store is now closed. Please exit the building. They'll shout things like that out while they try to brutally murder you. Yeah, I still sounded like a perfectly normal Ikea to me. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, ever since the containment of this particular Ikea, only 14 individuals have managed to escape it during this time. So who knows how many more people are stuck inside its confines or how many people are dead in there. It is cool that, like... This is one of the SCPs that allows for escape because you'll read about other similar SCPs that trap people inside with changing essentially a pocket dimension or some shit like that. Um, and when you read about stuff like that, it oftentimes has like no one fucking escapes from this thing. Like the SCP is malicious enough that it refuses to allow people to escape. But the fact that people are able to escape shows that like. The SCP itself isn't malicious, but SCP-2 clearly is. Yeah. Like, the store itself doesn't do anything to try to keep people in. It's just unending once you're inside it. Aside from, obviously, the exit. And then yep. the passive SCP-3008-2s, who at night become violent, or if you try to leave... Apparently, they will try to kill you. I just found that completely unexpected when I first came across this SCP. I was just browsing the internet, and I found it linked, and it was just so bizarre, the concept of a store of Ikea being an SCP under containment. I, I mean, there are a few SCPs that are just purely locations, or just as strange as that. Yeah. Yeah, there was another SCP I was reading about in research for this episode. I'm not going to go into too much detail about it because I kind of decided against talking about it, but I can bring it up at the very least. And it was, um, I forget what it was called, but it was essentially a parking garage that, upon entering, created a pocket dimension that it kept you inside of, uh, with like constantly shifting landscape and like the ramps to different levels were different. And like when they sent people in they had to have a string with them so they could always find their way back outside of it but like they sent people in to measure it and like couldn't get a consistent measurement of the size of the inside of the parking structure so 
Yeah, there's a couple different instances of locations or structures being SCPs as well. I'm not saying it's not a common occurrence in the SCP universe. Just it was the first one that I came across, and it was just completely unexpected. Oh yeah, it's absolutely weird when you do find your first one, and you're assuming all of the SCPs are going to be some sort of like entity, like some sort of creature, to find one that's just a fucking building. It's always a little bit fun. Up see, until that point, the only ones that I had come across were actual creatures or some sort of entity. You see, the weird thing for me is the fact that I actually started with a structure SCP. In fact, my introduction was SCP-87, uh, which is also known as the Staircase. 87's a great one. Uh, so 87, uh, I actually learned about it through the SCP-87 game, because uh, a lot of these SCPs also have game versions, and 87's one of the notorious ones, because it's a very simple game loop. And there's multiple versions. Yeah, so uh, 87, it's essentially the staircase. It's on unidentified campus, well, redacted campus. And the door just kind of looks like a janitorial closet door. But when you open it, it opens into a staircase. And it's just a rotating staircase that goes back and forth, back and forth, constantly going down. And there's only four instances where they actually uh, looked into the staircase to see what's going on. The first two people reported sounds of like crying and what sounds like a child far below. So they go down a certain way, but eventually they get spooked and end up leaving. Uh, both of them are try to leave so fast that they end up passing out by the time they get up to the top floor and are recovered. Uh, the second person is in a coma pretty much, whereas the first person just kind of fatigued themselves and passed out. And then the third person's work kind of gets uh, a bit spooky, where the fourth person actually is the person who's made it the furthest documented. Uh, they made it almost 500 uh, flights of stairs down, which, given the location of the stairs and how it works, it shouldn't be possible with the structure outside because it goes lower than the structure and lower than it should be physically possible to go into the ground at this location. Yeah. And the Especially person. Especially considering excavation to that depth would be really expensive exactly and the child still sounds like they're far away uh at the bottom of the stairs uh even at this point and then when they get to about that 500 level they're like screw this i'm leaving they turn around and there's just a face floating there in the darkness and it's got no pupils just looking at them they end up freaking out running even further down and this person eventually well, they're running and they have a camera that's being watched. And the one thing they keep noting throughout the story is that the face doesn't seem to be watching the test subject. It's watching the camera like it's looking at the people watching the feed. Yeah. And then, Yeah, if I remember correctly, in the first two ones, they briefly encounter the face. And the face is looking at the person, not the camera. And then in that third encounter, the face is very clearly staring at the people behind the camera. Yeah, and... The good thing to note is the it, I think it's the second person that encounters it, not the first. It's below them down the stairs, and that's what causes them to kind of want to go back. Whereas yeah. this person, by the time they get to this floor, it's behind them, so they pass it at some point, and it uh, they end up fleeing down the stairs, and it chases. And then it's noted that the sound of the child scre- like crying and screaming did get louder at this point, but the person to trip and falling unconscious and then the face comes up close to the camera and then the feed cuts and they never recovered the third person. And then of course, in SCP fashion, there is only one other person who ever went down there 
uh, test subject number four, and that whole case is redacted. And after yeah. it was redacted, the stairwell was fully shut, and no one's allowed going in. The thing I really enjoy about uh, that one is if you read the log of the third expedition, the person actually performing the expedition isn't the first one to notice that the mask is following him. Uh, essentially, he stops on a landing, or she stops on a landing, I don't remember which one, uh, and is like adjusting something to do with the camera, and the person who's watching the feed happens to see that like while they're looking at the camera to try and clean the lens, they get a shot over their shoulder of the mask, staring at this person from behind, and then the person in the operator's like, alright, keep going down the stairs, don't look behind you for any reason, and the person's like, what? Why? And he's like, just don't look behind you and no keep reason. going down the stairs. But he keeps going down a couple more flights and then eventually does look and notices the mask and all the shit goes down. Yeah. Yeah, the third subject was female. Yes. But yeah, my first encounter with SCP as a whole was through uh, 87. So my first uh, assumption on it was structures. Uh, and then after that, it kind of moved into, uh, I believe it would be the statue and the vending machine. The statue in particular, are you referring to the sculpture? Yeah, that's the one, the sculpture. 173. Yeah. The SCP first SCP. Yep. The original. Yeah, not original in the lore, just the first one to actually have been like a published, essentially creepypasta at the time that this whole world was built around. Yeah, just a short little entry about it. A statue made of concrete and rebar can only move when no one is looking at it. And it is... What? It was essentially just, like, a creepier version of the Weeping Angels, like, from Doctor Who. Except this one specifically likes breaking necks. Yeah. Yes. Preferred mode of murder. And uh, most people might know this one very well because it's the center focal uh, of the containment breach game. So I got one more SCP I'd like to bring up. That's uh, SCP-2000. Um, I really enjoyed this SCP just because it really builds the lore of the world more so than just telling the story of an individual SCP. Uh, and that's because this one definitely doesn't like fit the mold of other SCPs. Uh, first of all, it's one of the Thaumiel class SCPs in that it's mainly used to deal with different Kiter class uh, SCPs. Uh, and essentially the story is SCP-2000 is its own site, uh, Site 17, I believe, or Site Redacted, and I'm just assuming it's 17. One of the two. Uh, and it's a uh, secret facility located in Yellowstone National Park in the United States. Um, and essentially this one isn't an anomalous creature or building or anything like that. It is a machine that was created by the foundation using anomalous features they've discovered from other SCPs over the years. And so while it in itself is not necessarily anomalous, the fact that it uses a whole bunch of technology discovered through anomalous uh, functionality has kind of grandfathered it into the SCP classification. And the whole idea behind SCP-2000 is, so first of all, its name is Deus Ex Machina. It's literally God from the Machine, as those of you know. Um, 
its whole purpose is if a different kiter class, which has a K-class end-of-the-world scenario associated with it, manages to escape and end the world, the whole purpose of SCP-2000 is to rebuild the world from this facility and repopulate it uh, so as to kind of be like essentially the last arc of humanity. So it's got a whole bunch of different cloning pods deep inside of it. It essentially exists within a pocket dimension. So you go down an elevator, walk through a gateway, and all of a sudden you're in a space much larger than should be feasible for your area. Uh, the whole purpose of it is it can clone over, I believe, a million people per, per day. So if the world does end, initially only different members of the Foundation can uh, turn it on and activate it. Uh, however, if no one does for up to a month after its security alerts being triggered, it will allow any human being to activate it. And the first thing it will do was will create clones of high-ranking uh, Foundation members who are then tasked with properly operating SCP-2000 in order to recreate humanity. The first of the humans it clones are essentially told about its existence and tasked with helping to reconstruct all of the necessary structures for society. Um, and then eventually they'll have their memories wiped by the different memory wiping techniques that we have so that no one needs to know about SCP-2000 once it exists. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different technology described are described as being used to protect it. Like there's uh, BZHR reality stabilizers uh, to prevent other SCPs from corrupting it. There's a whole bunch of different technology. And if you go through reading the actual article, it lists a whole bunch of different technologies. And then there's just blocks of text explaining exactly what that technology does and its purpose within this kind of universe. Um, there's also the real fun thing I enjoy about this one is if you read through its logs, it has been activated twice in recorded history. And the reason I specify in recorded history and not just it's been activated twice is because the first of those two times we have no recorded history before it being activated and we have no fucking clue what happened beforehand. So we have no record of its actual construction. We have no idea how to reconstruct it, although we could reconstruct each of the individual parts we can't put them together and get them to operate the same way that it operates right now. Uh, and there's even a note that was found uh, prior to that first operation, which simply says, be careful when operating this. Uh, ensure you don't recreate a time more than 20 years prior to the K-class scenario. Uh, the 20th and 19th century, or the 20th and 21st century are ridiculous enough we don't need a second world war to carry care about which shows that clearly they went back in time fucked some shit around and created world war ii by fucking around with time and trying to recreate the world uh and then there's a note after that which says further research shows that this person was right we're gonna stick with two world wars and not fuck around with the timeline anymore <laughs> which i find really fun um but yeah it's just the super fascinating SCP, like, its purpose isn't the most interesting thing in the world, but just the amount of world-building that this one individual SCP does by reading it is fascinating to me. And I, I learned a lot more about the actual lore of SCPs from reading this one article than I did from reading most of the other articles I have read. Yeah, it's definitely a fun one. I don't think I've heard too much about that one, though. Uh, there is definitely 
uh, world lore stuff of the mechanical god and such as that, which actually yeah. gets into uh, something else I want to talk about, which is, of course, we've mentioned the first SCP created, but there is also SCP-1, which yep. in itself is a very fun SCP because they specify that SCP-1 is so classified and so integral to reality that they cannot let people know what it is. So SCP-1 is actually just a collection of SCPs that are very important. But the condition is that all of them, if not most of them, are fake. And one of them is possibly the true SCP. And okay. depending on what you accept is the lore of which SCP is actually the correct original one that bases the foundation of everything, it very much changes the context of SCP as a whole for you. So it's definitely one that you want to get into SCP first and then kind of deep dive into this to determine which one you think makes sense. So for just for example, there's one that's called the Spiral Path. This one is that it's a path, I believe, in uh, Central Park in New York. That it's just a spiral path that doesn't end. And all SCPs essentially were created by scientists messing around with this location. Uh, another fun one is, of course, uh, let me just pull it up real quick. Uh, the Foundation, uh, which implies that uh, SCP itself is the first SCP. Yep. Um, another fun one is, we didn't really talk about it, but uh, there's kind of a hierarchy within SCP. So there's, of course, the D-class, then there's the researchers, then there's the field uh, agents as well. Uh, above that, there's the people that manage the sites. And then the people that are in charge are 13 council members that oversee Me. everything. The O5 Council. Yeah, they're also known as the O5-13. The, one of the submissions is that they are actually one of the SCPs. Yeah. Specifically O5-13, because yeah, they were the O5-1 through 13. Yeah. The 13th member of the Council is the first SCP, according to this lore. And uh, also, apparently, all other, all other 12 of the... O5 were killed by it, apparently. Yep, yeah, and then there's, of course, like, the prototype, uh, the legacy. There's even impl implications that there's someone above the council that is actually the SCP. Yeah, I read a couple of them, and I think I think it was the prototype was my favorite, where it was just a document that they kept in a briefcase and made sure no one read. Because when it was first read, it was just a brief document outlining SCP-1. But then the second time I was read, it was a document outlining the not-yet-found SCP-2, which was then found. And then the third time it was read, was a, it was a document outlining SCP-3. And SCP-3 was after that found. So they are unaware if it was creating the SCPs or warning them about the SCPs that they would find. Yeah, and that's kind of the fun things when it comes to SCP-1, uh, where they couldn't agree on which one was so important that it would have the number one spot. So they decided that the concept of one was it was so important and in, cr crucial to the world that there's not one, there's multiple, but they're kind of like, uh, as a popular kind TV of... show once said, it's hiding important stuff behind a bunch of cats. Yeah. Yeah, they're using most, like, the fact that there's probably, like, 20 to 30 ideas or theories for SCP-1 just means that there's 20 to 30 fake ideas to throw people off the scent. And maybe one of them is true. And maybe no one has actually written down the proper 
uh, actual SCP-1. And you just don't know that until... I mean, you never figure it out. You'll never know what the true SCP-1 is. The whole idea is there's a whole bunch of different ideas. You can choose in your head to designate one as the correct one and all of the others is fake. But it's also entirely possible that all of them are fake and the true one is being kept secret and those are all just diversions to throw you off the scent. Yeah, and it's even possible that some of them might be true in tandem to each other or even partially true and they all connect in some way. But depending on what your canon is for how SCP-1 works, that really informs kind of your stance and how you look into the lore of the world looking at all the other SCPs. Yeah. And uh, there's just like two more SCPs I kind of just want to give a nod to just because they're kind of interesting ones. Uh, of course, uh, funny enough, we've covered an SCP in the past already because uh, the Mothman's actually uh, technically an SCP. Yeah, we discovered this while researching this one. SCP-2901 is uh, the Mothman. And then another thing I just wanted to mention, because it gives me a giggle every time I think about it, but I can't remember what SCP it is. I didn't look into it too much, uh, but it was the living room, uh, spelled the way you'd expect uh, as a living room. But uh, on the outside, it's a mass of like flesh and like pulsating. And when you look in through the door or the window that's on the side of it, you can see a perfectly fine furnished living room. And in the story, one of the uh, scientists that are uh, working on the facility that's in this kind of goes missing and no one knows where he went. Uh, but then one day one person was looking into the living room and they noticed there was a new rug. Nice. <laughs> it's just uh, one of those I... ones where it's like, like you don't get any story about him dying or anything. He just went missing. And then all of a sudden the living room had a new rug in it. I want to give a quick shout out to like another subclass of SCPs, which is there's a whole classification of joke SCPs, which are, not intended to be taken seriously in the slightest. Um, and they're just like a whole bunch of different like plays on the whole SCP formula. Uh, for instance, one of my favorites is SCP-666 and a half dash J. All of the joke ones uh, have the dash J classification to make it super clear that it's not real and it's just a joke. Yep. Uh, but the idea of SCP-666 and a half dash J is that is essentially dinner that was served at a uh, SCP fundraiser event uh, that gave everyone who ate it food poisoning. Um, but it was the most intense food poisoning they've ever experienced in their life. And so they determined that it was an SCP causing very bad feelings of wanting to shit themselves, but also being constipated at the same time. Oh, yeah. And one last SCP that I want to briefly mention, just because it seems so funny at first, and weird, but the more you think about it, the more you know, dark and disconcerting it is. SPC-2076, titled, Shooting Yourself Can Increase Your Bullet Resistance. It's a Kester-class SCP, and they can't contain it, they can only <laughs> observe it, because it uh, terrorizes random cities around the state of Illinois, where it will pop up. And it pops up as just some random uh, advertisement in uh, various media that's like kind of low quality, some sort of picture with brightly colored fonts. And if you view this weird advertisement, no matter what it says, you will inexplicably believe the advertisement and accept it as just like 
common fact. And yeah, this is regular thing for life. Some examples being uh, like a reproduction of an instance that they found of this. During the Sunday, he is Officer John. During Hanukkah, he is Bix's Macaw. Join the animalesque crossdressers. And it's just a picture of a uh, bicycle police officer. So whatever that would cause, I don't know. <laughs> Another one, feeding your cardboard box with baked potatoes can increase the survival rate of the golden lion tamarin. Yeah, and sure enough, people who have seen that started buying uh, lots and lots of cardboard boxes and baked potatoes. <laughs> you gotta feed and it. And then, obviously, hence the title of this, Incident Log 2076-B, where uh, there was a, or a massive shooting inside a, un or a redacted police department precinct there were a couple hundred human beings holding self-inflicted bullet wounds because of this apparent uh, advertisement that was saying hey if you shoot yourself you'll be resistant to bullets and so the police officers believed it and anyone else who saw it believed it so yeah weird but also very terrifying yeah, I think that's a good indicate, a uh, good example of uh, there's certain types, not just the classifications, but types of SCPs, and uh, I think that's a good example of a mimetic one, which is yeah. perceived in thought process and not so much a physical object. Yeah, affects the way you think, but isn't like a physical manifestation so much. Yeah, it's like this one. There's absolutely no way to contain it. They can only observe it and mitigate the damage it causes. Yeah. But yeah, is there uh, anything else you guys wanted to mention in regards to the SCP Foundation as it stands as of today? No, I think that's a pretty good coverage of SCP, at least from my perspective. Keith? Yeah, I pretty much went over all the stuff I want to speak of about specifically with SCP. Again, there is so many of them, it's kind of hard to go in depth on every single one or mention each one i do highly recommend if you did find what we're talking about interesting just go over to the form and check it out yourself uh, there's a lot of good reads on there uh there's i think they're on their way to five thousand now so there is a lot to go through yes and so i guess that just about does it so we'll enter our wrap up which is good because uh i don't want those uh, men in black walking up my street to find me yeah i'll try so, to release guys... the episode without them catching on uh i'll work out something do you guys have any uh, recommendations for things for people to check out? So what I'm going to recommend is there's actually a video game called uh, Control, which very much is similar to kind of SCP. In fact, there's even a few jokes to aimed towards SCP within it. Uh, so you essentially uh, are playing someone looking for your brother who's under uh, the control of the Bureau, and you kind of accidentally, in a sense, become the... Uh, leader of the bureau and essentially the, f the facility is just full of a bunch of these scp like things uh, one of the ones to mention is the refrigerator which this guy has to look at constantly and then it ends up killing him and then you find out that the refrigerator is actually a pocket dimension to some beast <laughs> huh 
Yeah, so, Control's uh, a great game. Yeah, it's X-Files meets SCP. Uh, so I definitely highly recommend taking a look at that game uh, if you do get the chance. Uh, so I personally want to recommend, it's actually one of the short stories that can be found on the SCP website, but it's called uh, The Zero Incident. And it's this uh, essentially story that very heavily involves SCP-2000, which I mentioned earlier, but just kind of really builds up the lore of the world and tells you a lot about, kind of introduces you to a whole bunch of fairly minor SCPs and gives you like the ability to, as you're going, read into like a dozen different SCPs. I know when I was first reading that short story, it probably should have taken me like maybe 20 to 30 minutes to read, but I was reading it for over two hours because it just kept referencing other things. And I was like, nope, pausing the story for a second, going to read up on that because that sounds fascinating. All right, back to the story. Oh, no, here's another thing I got to read up on. It's, it's a really good read and gives you a lot of kind of introductions to a whole bunch of different aspects of the SCP world. And uh, my recommendation, I had to think up something really quick because I completely forgot about this. Uh, I'm going to recommend something that seems very, very uh, not related to this. A movie, a fairly old movie now, called Surf Ninjas. <laughs> That's a good movie! It's Money amazing. can't buy knives! Money can't buy knives, apparently. But yeah, it's a hilarious comedy about... Uh, I guess ninjas and surfing. All those two brothers growing up in California. All of a sudden, they're told that they're princes of some uh, remote island and have to return and save it from some dictator. And uh, I guess I can kind of relate it to SCP in that one of the <laughs> characters has a video game console that they can use to predict the future. It shows them what's going to happen in the near future. So. Kind so, of SCP. The thing, the thing about this is, you brought this up once when the three of us were playing D and D a while back, and one of us tried to buy knives, and you made the throwaway joke about how money can't buy knives. Yep. Uh, and I had no idea what you're talking about, so you explained the concept of Surf Ninjas to me. And later on that day, we both discovered that the full movie of Surf Ninjas is it's just available, available on YouTube. On YouTube. I just double checked to make sure nothing has changed. Oh, Absolutely, still, still fully available on YouTube. So, so there is no reason to not go and watch it. So, like, I normally when I'm editing the episode and putting it up, I will attach trailers and stuff for things. I, if it's just up and full on YouTube, I might just attach the full movie as the link. Do it. Yeah, absolutely. Do it. Such a great movie. But, uh, uh so. Quick double check to make sure we have no call-outs that are owed to the people. Yep, none at this moment. No one guessed the last episode, and at this time, no one has correctly guessed the current episode. Okay, and uh, any comments on the last episode? Unfortunately, uh, no comments at this point. Um, Everyone's got more better things to do, I suppose. I suppose. Hard to believe during quarantine, but uh, uh, but uh, I think now things are starting to open up, so true enough. people are finding things to do now. And to tie people over till the next episode, I do have a question for everyone, and, and that is, what is your favorite SCP? Yeah, I'd love to hear. And uh, yeah, if I'd we you have, have a favorite one, one to read about. If you have a favorite one we haven't mentioned, by all means, let us know. But with that, as usual, you can find us on all podcast streaming services along with YouTube. So uh, you can tune in whenever you want. 
and uh, maybe leave a comment, like, subscribe, tell us how we're doing, tell us how you're doing, and uh, tune in in another two weeks from now when we uh, talk about something else. Uh, what are we talking about in two weeks? 